So do, uh, do any of you guys like to watch that program, the Antiques Roadshow? Right? Okay. See, Vicky and I used to watch it all the time until we had kids who, who now hijack all of our, our screen time. But, but anyway, for those of you, if, if you haven't seen it, if you don't know what Antiques Roadshow is, it's a television program. Uh, it's actually been on PBS since the late 90s. And this, the show's premise is really simple. Uh, each year, the cast and crew travels to a handful of cities across the U.S., uh, inviting locals to have everything from garage sale junk to family heirlooms appraised uh, to see if their prized possessions are the real deal uh, or if they're a real dud. And as a, this group of experts and auctioneers tells the audience the details of uh, the piece's provenance and its history and, uh, and whether or not there are any clues that point to the item's creator. And that's a really important element of the show because whether it's a, a maker's mark or a serial number or a name inscribed in, in bronze or applied in oil paint, artists and craftsmen throughout history always place their unique stamp on their masterpieces. And, and our God, who without a doubt is the greatest artist and architect of all time is no different because his unique imprint and his autograph is on his work uh, and only a fool could miss it as we're going to see in today's psalm uh, and as it's going to show us in psalm 53 so if you have your bible i encourage you to open it up uh, and read along with me uh, psalm 53 is inscribed to the choir master to the mehalath as masculine of david and David starts out by writing, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all fallen away together. They've become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are, in great terror, where there is no terror, for God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortune of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad." The word of the Lord. So, you know, in the, uh, the opening lines of today's psalm, if they sounded familiar, that's because they are. Uh, and, and King David, our psalm singer, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, must have thought they were really important words, too, because Psalm 53 isn't the only psalm that begins with the sentence, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. If you remember, uh, they're repeated nearly verbatim from Psalm 14 that we looked at several weeks back. Uh, and then hundreds of years later, in the providence of God, if we look into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would quote that text a third time in his letter to the Romans, uh, a letter that's probably the most theologically significant letter ever to come from the pen of the Apostle. And so clearly then from these words uh, from our God demand our keenest attention and really should prompt us to be asking ourselves the question, uh, who is it that falls into this disgraceful category of fool? Uh, and to make sure that we don't, right? That we're not one of them. 
And I really think when we come to this text and look at it, the best way to do it is to try to see the circumstances of life the same way that David saw them, so that we can kind of uh, draw the lesson here and see the whole picture the way that he was presenting it. Because, you see, when David begins his refrain by telling us what the fool says in his heart, what he means is this is what a foolish person really believes right to the core of their being. Uh, it's not some fleeting thought. It's not maybe a passing doubt about the nature and the existence of God. Uh, no, David is letting us know that when uh, folks are foolish enough to claim that there is no God, uh, it's not just a phase. It's a full-fledged conviction of theirs unless or until the Holy Spirit changes the nature and the disposition of their hearts. And when David calls out this kind of fool, he's, uh, he's not talking about their human intelligence. He's not talking about an issue of education. It's not a matter of social instruction. But it's really one of immorality and of a lack of devotion to the God of the universe, to the maker of heaven and earth who stamped his divine signature on all of creation with the idea that if we rightly understand his holiness and his worth and his perfection, then we could rightly understand and value everyone and everything that he's made. Does that make sense? Because if we don't recognize the existence of God, let alone his value, then we don't have any objective way to value anything else. And I want to give you a, a quick example of that. Uh, a true story, actually, uh, that I think pulls this idea together. I know I had mentioned to you guys before that uh, I had the privilege to study for two years at the Academy of Fine Arts in Houston, uh, PA, with a very accomplished artist named Jim Sokowski, uh, who not only taught uh, his students the elements of traditional oil painting, but he also taught courses in art history uh, that were fascinating to me, and I guess maybe that's why this story caught my attention. Uh, but you may have seen it in the news. If you've had a chance to look at the, the front cover of your bulletin, the image that I chose for this week is a painting from the early 1500s called Salvador Mundi, which just means savior of the world. Uh, a painting that was for years thought to have been destroyed, only to be rediscovered in 2006 and sold to a Saudi prince for the bargain price of just $450 million. Right? That's it. Now, if we, if we could go see it in person, the actual 500-year-old panel is not much bigger than the average flat-screen TV. Uh, it's painted on a, a milled plank of walnut that's showing uh, cracks and, and splintering all through the wood. And it probably doesn't have enough paint on it in terms of ounces to trim out the average size room's baseboards, right? Uh, so there's not much to it. But what it depicts is extraordinary. Uh, it's a painting of Jesus Christ in typical Renaissance dress for a man of high standing uh, who is, is making the sign of the cross with his right hand while holding this, this transparent, non-reflecting crystal orb uh, in his left that represents the celestial sphere of the heavenly cosmos that he's king over. Uh, it's striking, isn't it? Just the details from the painting. Uh, well, after centuries of being bought and, and sold and sloppily restored and terribly neglected, it was identified uh, as coming from the brush of none other than the master painter Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, he originally painted it 
for Louis XII of France and his wife Anne of Brittany, uh, as I said, probably in the early 1500s. Uh, by 1638, it had been sold to the English Duke of Hamilton, uh, hung in his London townhouse until 1649, uh, when he got himself convicted of participating in the English Civil War uh, and got himself executed. And so his possessions, including this painting, uh, were confiscated by the Crown government uh, and sold off in a backhanded deal to the personal collection of King Charles I for 30 pounds. So, pocket change, right? Uh, it actually remained there in the royal collection until 1763 uh, when it sold again and, and passed around through inheritance and purchases where shoddy record-keeping muddled its providence until it eventually lost its actual identity and finally ended up selling in 2005 to a man named Alexander Parrish, who bought it through an estate sale. You know, like those estate sales that we go to around town? He bought it for the reserve bid of $1,000 when nobody else showed any interest in it. Okay? Nobody else recognized its potential value. Uh, at that point, no one understood its link to the master who had created it. And I hope you see by that story how relatively quickly the painting lost its value when it lost its connection to its creator. Uh, and you know, that's even more true when it comes to this world of ours. You know, this world that contains so many things that are gifts from God to us, all those things that are, are beautiful and, and good in this world. I mean, just think for a minute uh, of some of God's masterpieces, things like beautiful sunsets, uh, rainbows after a rainstorm, majestic white-capped mountains, all of those things are artistic gifts from God. Like the sunrise on a spring morning or the, the vibrant colors of an autumn day, the laughter and smile of our kids and grandkids, right? All those are examples of the master's signature. Like David told us back in Psalm 19 when he said, the heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. I mean, just take, take a look around and think about all the wonders of nature uh, and of this world that we live in, so many that you can't possibly imagine how anyone could be an atheist, how anyone could not believe in the presence of a divine creator. Uh, but you know, brothers and sisters, it's not just the natural world that should attract our attention because you and I are God's personal masterpieces, right? Of all the wonderful things in God's creation, we are the pinnacle. Right? We're the absolute masterpiece. Whether we realize it or not, we're created in His image. We're created in God's likeness. Uh, and His signature is on us. Uh, and the psalmist David shows he knew that very well. He was fully aware when he expressed his gratitude by saying, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And proclaiming in, in Psalm 139, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Uh, later, the, the New Testament picks up the theme, and in Ephesians 2.10, we're told, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. But you know, I realize that, especially in talking to people this week, uh, it's easy for us to forget that we're God's handiwork, isn't it? It's really easy for us to forget we're one of his masterpieces when the stress uh, and the toils and the trials of life often cause us to feel like uh, we're not much of a project of God at all, much less a masterpiece. Uh, especially when 
the strains and, and the smudges of sin uh, and shame kind of uh, cloud our appearance and make us feel a loss of self-worth. Uh, it causes us to lose sight of God's signature in our lives, doesn't it? When our, our mistakes and our failures and our disappointments in life often leave us feeling like damaged goods, right? Damaged goods that have been thrown to the wayside and forgotten. But you know, the, the good news is God is full of grace and mercy. And we're fortunate that we have a God that's merciful and a God that's gracious, a God that sees right into the core of who we are, warts and all, with all the mistakes and all the missteps, with all the regrets, with all of our second guesses, but if we come to him in genuine repentance through Christ, he removes those smudges and those stains that hide his signature on us. And then we'll be not only restored, but able to recognize the imprint of the master on ourselves and on all the world around us. Because, you know, in fact, uh, that's exactly how that, that painting, the Salvador Mundi painting, was finally identified uh, as a treasure. I, I told you after the, the man Alexander Parrish purchased it in... Uh, 2005 for that thousand dollars he, he commissioned uh, a lady named diane modestini at the university of new york to oversee the restoration uh, and, and she did it she began the process by taking infrared photographs almost like x-rays uh, of the wooden panel to see underneath the layers of dirt and, and time and of uh, shoddy conservation attempts and when they were able to see right to the heart of the painting as it were to see kind of the mind of the artist, what they saw was an earlier original draft, a, a first attempt that was painted over and adjusted in a couple of areas. Uh, and in the art world, that's called a pentimento. A pentimento, which quite literally means a repentance. It's a, it's a critical uh, piece to the authentication of the painting because it's evidence that its work isn't a fake. It's not a copy, but the bona fide original because a copyist or a counterfeiter would have no reason to do that, right? Somebody faking a painting wouldn't paint it first and then paint over it again. But, you know, it made me think that we need that same kind of repentance. You know, we need a, a pentimento of our own where God shows us his original design, his original intention for us. And, and then each one of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be shown where and how we need to be restored. And that can only happen through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So do you have one? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Uh, or in the words of today's psalm, when God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand or who seek after him, will he find you and I seeking after his word and after his will? Because that's not our natural inclination, is it? Uh, in fact, the last, that last verse is really just a rhetorical question on David's part because without even a pause in the text, if you're following in your Bible, he answers in the very next verse, no, they've all fallen away. Together they've all become corrupt. There's no one who does good. Uh, and in case you might misunderstand that, he ends it by saying not even one, right? In case you think you might be the only one, there's not even one. Now that's the bad news. But as I said last week, we don't really need the Bible to teach us that, do we? Uh, we see it in the world all around us. We can see it in our own hearts as the canvas of our lives displays all of those cracks and, and wrinkles 
and scars and sins, kind of like the, the portrait of Dorian Gray at the end of the novel, you know, Oscar Wilde's famous novel, like the portrait at the end is marked and destroyed. But the good news is that God says to his people uh, in Exodus 19, now then, if you will listen closely, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be, it actually says in Hebrew, am segolah, it means my own special treasure, my jewel. Right? We're going to be God's special treasure if we listen to him. Uh, and you know, just like the stories that we like to read about these grand adventures, uh, searching for treasure, you know, where X marks the spot. The truth is, for believers, that's the story of our lives. We are the treasure, and Christ has placed his bloodstained mark on us, even while we were hidden, even while we were lost. Because, you know, regardless of our individual uh, plot in life, trying to hide our flaws and our faults from God could characterize the story of any one of us at any time, right? I know it could mine. We all try to hide from God. Uh, but, you know, since we're on this kind of theme of, of uncovered treasures, I want to share with you a quick illustration. One I actually shared three years ago in a sermon, but made reference to last Sunday uh, during Sunday school, but I never got to finish it. Uh, it's a poem by Francis Thompson uh, that I love, and maybe you know it. I can't read all of it to you because of time, but uh, it's called The Hound of Heaven. I think it was Pam that I was talking to about it before. Uh, if you don't know who Francis Thompson is, he's an Englishman born in 1859 and was actually once a very devout Christian but led a troubled life. He started out as a very brilliant man with a bright future uh, who after giving up on studies first to become a priest and, and then a physician kind of drifted around aimlessly for a while until he fell on hard times. Uh, and his troubles only increased when he developed a condition called neuralgia uh, because to relieve the symptoms he would take this a really toxic drug called laudanum, which was a concoction of opium and alcohol. And as you might guess, he became addicted to it. And he ended up on the street corners of London selling matchsticks to support his drug habit. But occasionally, occasionally in moments of sober clarity, he would write poems and mail them in to the London newspapers to be printed. And he wrote this beautiful poem that I want to share just a very shortened piece of with you. Uh, it's a poem about a lost artist with a badly damaged life and how God pursued him like it was buried treasure. <clears throat> Actually, how God, uh, like a kind of relentless bloodhound, had his feet hot on the trail of, of Thompson. This is what he wrote. He says of himself, I fled him, meaning God, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. I hid from those strong feet that followed, followed after. For though I knew his love who followed, yet I was sore adread, lest having him, I must have not else instead. And Thompson kind of continues through this long poem talking about all the things that he pursued rather than pursuing God. But in spite of that, how God continued to pursue him. And in the midst of the poem, Thompson admits that he ran from God uh, in order to kind of prostitute his life and himself to this hedonistic lifestyle until he became the very picture of Psalm 53 today. <coughs> Excuse me. He actually became the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. Becoming corrupt, 
doing abominable things because he knew that if he let God catch up to him, if he knew that he let God get close to him, that he would compel him to change his personal passions. Because, you know, God loves us enough to accept us the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And he knew that God would look right through him and start to clean him up and to smooth out his rough edges and uh, to clean off the filth of his sin and to begin a restoration process. And honestly, he wasn't really sure that he wanted that. He kind of liked his sin. But then, thankfully, the tone of the poem changes, and we're told how God continued to pursue Thompson, who was by now disillusioned with his worldly lifestyle that he had chased after. Uh, and then as the poem closes, God actually is the, the one that becomes the speaker. And he says to, to Thompson, All those things which I took from thee, I did but take not for thy harm, but that thou might seekest them in my arms. And the poem ends with God saying to him, Oh, my fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. And you know, that's really the, the same reason that David said in Psalm 53, Oh, that salvation from Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad, because the underlying message of Thompson's poem and, and of the psalm is that because God is our creator, is that our fortunes and our worth and our value are found in him and in his salvation and not in running from him and wandering from one worldly seduction to the next because, you know, all that really accomplishes is our own devaluation, just like that painting. Because, you know, if, if, if we run from God, we don't damage him or his kingdom or his reputation uh, or his worth in doing those things. We just damage our own. Did you ever think about it that way? Do you see, if somebody that I loved was to reject me, I would cry because I lost something. Like, if Vicki ever finally leaves me to pursue Harrison Ford, she may be happy, <laughs> but, but I would be devastated. That, that's why I told her the day that we got married, if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. But when a person rejects and leaves God, it's their value that's diminished. Because that person leaving has lost something, not God. Right? When a person or a nation abandons God, he's not diminished. The one leaving is. But, you know, he still pursues us. And thank God he does. Uh, I think that's really comforting. Because I think there are many times in our lives, especially when we feel unloved or insignificant, that we need to know that we're special to God. We need to have that assurance uh, that we have from our text this morning that no matter... What the critics of the world may think of us, no matter how we might feel about ourselves, we can always remember that we're something special to our loving God who cares about us and who jealously, the Bible says, desires to keep us as his very own. Just like the current owner of the Salvador Monday painting, just to kind of finish out the story, nearly a month after that Da Vinci painting sold for that $450 million, the the buyer was revealed to be a little-known Saudi prince who had no record of being an art collector. Uh, his name is uh, Prince Badr bin Abdullah, uh, who is reportedly, is currently displaying this beautiful masterpiece, this beautiful uh, treasure in the safety and security and the privacy of his royal yacht. So guess, guess who else sees it besides him? Nobody, right? Incredible, right? But you know, if you are in Christ... Uh, if you have been bought by, uh, not an earthly prince, but by the prince that David calls today the salvation of Israel, 
you know you're much more precious than that and you're twice as treasured and twice as sheltered? Because the Bible says that we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance kept in heaven, uh, one that's pure and undefiled, one that's beyond the reach of change and decay, uh, and that through our faith, God is protecting us by his power until we receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day, uh, not just for some private viewing, but for all to see. So the Bible says, be truly glad for there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you might have to endure many trials for a little while because of your faith. That faith is being tested. Being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it wasn't paid with mere gold or silver that lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and that word is the good news that was preached to you. That was the good news that you heard preached today. Are you ready to receive it? Let's pray together.